This episode of That's What G Said podcast is brought to you by SarahCandles.com, C-E-R-A Candles.com. Use the promo code G-I-N-O for 10% off your entire purchase. Also, CindyCarava.com, full-service realtor. Cindy Carava can help you with any of your real estate needs. She covers the San Gabriel Valley and all of the North San Diego County. Make sure to get to CindyCarava.com for any of your real estate needs. This is going to be a fun episode of That's What G Said podcast because I am pissed off. Plain and simple, we're going to talk about how USC made a huge mistake bringing back Clay Helton, and they are going to cost the program millions of dollars by bringing him back. I am embarrassed, and we will rant on that. We're going to get through some of the shows that we're currently watching. We'll prep you for those, because then we're going to have a recap of all the shows on the next episode. NCAA football conference championship games. Talk about the NFL season, we're three quarters of the way through, we're going to give you some thoughts on every team, and then we'll close things out with some horse racing December the 5th, December the 6th, we have plays for you at Gulfstream, Aqueduct, Turfway Park, all over the place, sit back and enjoy this episode of That's What G Said. Thank you, Joey. Oh, oh, oh. So much to talk about in the world of uh, sports and pop culture. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said Podcast. Three weeks now for little Milo. He turned three weeks old yesterday, so uh, three weeks of parenthood so far, and we're having a good time. I I can say that it's been a, a real good team effort. Stephanie, I think... Doesn't even like to be away from him for 30 seconds. It is pretty adorable. And so I've uh, I've been able to get some stuff done because she's she just loves that little man so much. So we're we're doing a, a really good job of of some team parenting so far, taking taking turns with our sleep schedule and nothing nothing uh, like I, I think I've ever experienced before. So again, just continue. Thank you to everyone for all the support out there. I keep getting nice messages and nice uh nice words from all of you, and we really appreciate it. Let's get into the show. Uh, before we start talking about uh, a lot of the sports and, and, and diving into some of the different topics, I want to mention uh, some of the shows currently watching right now and some good stuff out there. You'll get a good idea of the streaming services and how much good content or just content in general there is out there. So put these shows down. If you're watching them, try to get through them in the next few days. And then on the next episode, we're uh, that's what she said. We're going to really get into the Mandalorian. Watch the first four episodes on Disney plus shameless season 10. I've watched the first four episodes. It's over on showtime, the morning show. We're going to talk about episodes six, seven, and eight. Uh, I've been watching that over on Apple TV Merry, happy, whatever is a really corny 
Christmas show on Netflix. It's a TV show. And it's real quick. But if you like just the corny Christmas shows, it's also it's something that you'll enjoy watching. But it's very cliche. There's the uh, Irishman on Netflix. And then Silicon Valley finishing up on HBO. So lots to talk about. And our next episode will be a little more uh, breaking down some of these shows. Which ones do we like? Positives, negatives, and um, all of our recaps for that. Let's jump right into the NCAA football. It is conference championship week. And we're coming off a pretty good week with our NFL, with our NCAA football plays. We went 3-1 and one last week. We had Ole Miss with that dog pissing <laughs> Penalty where the players scored and then got a uh, a penalty for doing the dog pissing. Uh, that was a game that actually helped us because they missed the extra point. They don't have to go to overtime and we end up just losing by one, but it was a, a two and a half point. They were plus two and a half. So we had Virginia win and we had Cincinnati um, win to cover the spread. We lost with Texas Tech and they were up early in that game and before they f- just completely got destroyed and faded. So now we are... After a, a pretty bad most of the year in college football, up to 21 and 22 in the NCAA, and we'll have a couple plays for you this week. Let's get right into the conference championship game. So, uh, the schedule for the week looks like this Utah, Oregon for the Pac 12 championship. We have, and that's going to be on Friday night. And then we have. Baylor, Oklahoma on Saturday for the Big 12 Championship. We have Louisiana, Appalachian State for the Sun Belts Conference Championship. Miami, Central Michigan. Miami of Ohio, Central Michigan in the MAC Championship. We have UAB and Florida Atlantic in Conference USA Championship. We have Cincinnati versus Memphis, a rematch from last week. That's going to be in the uh, AAC, American Athletic Conference Championship. Georgia LSU in the SEC title game. Hawaii, Boise State in the Mountain West. Virginia Clemson in the ACC. We have Ohio State Wisconsin in the Big Ten Championship game. And then Army Navy on Saturday. That always Army Navy game. So there's your schedule for the weekend. And there are a couple good games. We have four plays uh, in these college football conference championship games. The first one is Oregon and Utah, right? Why is Utah favored up to pl- up to minus seven in here? Oregon is plus seven in this game. These two teams, to me, are pretty evenly matched. Utah's got it. They both have really good defenses. Utah has the ability to run the ball maybe a little bit better with one of the best running backs in the nation. But if Ares- if Oregon would have beat Arizona State a few weeks ago. What do you think this line is? Maybe like two or close or really close to even? This game is not on the road at Utah. All the pressure is on Utah because they need to win. They need to win, I guess, pretty impressively in order to, to try to get into the college football playoff. They have to look better than Oklahoma in the eyes of, uh, of the pollsters out there. And I just don't know if they're that much better than Oregon. I think this game is like a field goal game. I think it's a back and forth game with two really good defenses who keep the score low. And I'm going to take Oregon in here. You can get plus seven against Utah. I'm fine with anything with uh, anything over like over six, six, six and a half, seven. I take Oregon, but look around for the seven. Try to find your better number. Oregon plus seven against Utah. 
Second game, Oklahoma minus the 8 against Baylor. Remember just a few weeks ago when Oklahoma came from down 25 at Baylor to win late? Just completely shut down Baylor in the second half. This is the top scoring offense in the Big 12. Baylor is the top scoring defense though. But wide receiver Lamb was going to be back for Oklahoma. He missed the game in week 10 against Baylor. I just don't think Baylor can keep up with them on a back and forth. And Baylor's coming off of, this is an excellent season for Baylor. They've played really, really well. I think this is just going to be a different animal trying to keep up with Oklahoma on a neutral field here. So we're going to go with Oklahoma minus the eight against Baylor. Third play, I have thought LSU was the best team in the nation all throughout the year. Um, To me, LSU, Ohio State, they've been right there, but I think LSU is just a little more well-rounded. And I think offensively, they have a little more burst. So can Georgia who struggled with their offense as of late, keep up with this LSU team? I just don't think so. Uh, Georgia's going to be without one of their best receivers for the first half, Pickens. He was in a fight last week, so he's suspended for the first half. The Georgia's team is banged up. LSU seems like they are on a mission. Anything at seven or less, I think you take LSU. I don't want seven and a half, but if you can get seven, six and a half, uh, anything along those lines, we're leaning on LSU here to win and to prove that they are one of the best teams in the nation. And then Virginia, plus 28 and a half in a conference championship game? Why does Clemson have to win this game by 30? Bryce Perkins can run the ball for Virginia. He can keep them off balance a little bit. Clemson just needs to win this game. I just don't see any reason why they're going to continue to try to pour it on, you know, if they get up three scores and if Virginia can't at least make a dent in here with Perkins. To me, that's just way, way too high. 28 and a half now. So the four plays in the college games this week. Oregon plus the seven. Oklahoma minus the eight. LSU minus the seven. And Virginia plus 28 and a half. I'm sure a lot of you, you know, we're football fans. We're in the middle of uh, one of our handicapping gambling segments. So a lot of you probably like to play Daily Fantasy I'm very lucky to be working in partnership with a new DFS app for prop betting. It's called Thrive Fantasy. So what they've done is they've changed the drafting process and, you know, how most of the DFS apps have the traditional salary cap. Well, this one's a little bit different. You pick a lineup of 10 of the 20 prop bets that they have plus two in case of emergency picks. So each prop bet will have an over and an under point value assigned. For example, Tom Brady will throw for 250 yards. You pick over, you pick under, it'll be 100 points. If you pick over, it'll be 80 points if you pick under. And so you build your lineup with those props. I know a lot of us out there are really starting to get into the in-game wagering, the live prop uh, betting, um, all sorts of different individual player props. So this is, is something that it just gives you a little bit of a different wrinkle. If you're somebody who already is wagering and and betting on a lot of the props, then you're going to be very successful at Thrive Fantasy and give you a little bonus just for trying it out. Maybe you're sitting there listening and you're like, I don't know, what's Thrive Fantasy? Well, I'm sure we all have 10 bucks to part with. If you go to Thrive Fantasy, sign up for an account, and use the promo code GINO, when you deposit 10 bucks, They'll give you a $10 bonus right back. So your 10 is already turned into 20. You'll get a free roll for a couple different contests. You can play in a contest against me. I'm on there as that's what G said. I've done the the uh, the legwork on this company. 
I've played in some of the contests myself. I've won a couple of contests, so I've had to withdraw money. It's very easy, very simple. It came right to my PayPal account. No issues at all. So I'm a big fan of Thrive Fantasy. Make sure to use that promo code G-I-N-O and you'll get that $10 bonus credit. And hey, I get, it puts money right back into my pocket. Every time one of you goes and uses the promo code Gino, I get a chunk of the change. So you're uh, you're putting food right on little Milo's table. Thrive Fantasy, download the app, use that promo code Gino and then deposit 10 bucks. Okay, Clay Helton, USC has decided to bring back Clay Helton for the 2020 season. He has a 40-21 and 21 record, and so a lot of people will look at that, that number and say, wow, 40-21, and 21, Gino, that's not that bad. Now, keep in mind, this is the probably the worst era of Pac-12 Sports in general, football and basketball, and as far as the major sports are concerned, we have zero national contenders year in and year out. The Pac-12 is terribly run, and so in a down era, USC still is struggling. And we're going to get through the specifics of these numbers, so please, when you're at USC... To win only four, to go only forty and twenty one is pathetic. It's pathetic. the The school recruits for itself. It's not that they lose games either. If I thought, you know what, this team was very undermanned, they just don't, they just aren't talented enough to win some of these games. But you see the way. It's not that they lose; it's how they lose. They are undisciplined. They don't practice hard. They don't tackle. Their special teams is miserable. As a fan, it has been frustrating. The literal definition of insanity is expecting difference when the same thing, doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting a different result. Well, Clay Helton, I'm sorry. You are a very nice guy from all accounts. Everybody talks about what a great guy he was. And when they hired Clay Helton as the head coach, there was a lot of turmoil at USC. There still is a lot of turmoil at USC. But we've we've seen... Are we okay with mediocrity? And now we are. And this is hard for me. My sister works at USC now. I've been a USC fan my entire life. I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed at what this program has done. I'm embarrassed at what they've done. I really am. Clay Helton, some of his numbers. Let's dive into the numbers because these are more than just 40 and 21. Turnover margin. In 2016, they ranked 67th in the country. 2017, 80th. 2018, 120th. And then heading into this year, that was the big, big gripe. We're going to clean up the turnovers. We're going to clean up the penalties. They went from 120th last year to 112th this year. How about penalty yards per game? Back in 2016, 114. Back in 2017, 122. Back in uh, 2018, 123. This year, improved on it. 124 penalty yards per game. 12 double-digit losses in 61 games. And just to give you a little bit of a a sample, Pete Carroll coached 116 games for USC. He lost three times by double digits. That happened 12 times in 61 games for Clay Helton. Without Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold, a a generational quarterback who bailed Clay Helton out many times. Bailed him out in games that USC should not have won. Like this year, 
USC got bailed out twice in games that they shouldn't have won. Instead of being 8-4, and four, they're very easily 6-6. Six and six. But without Sam Darnold, 14-13. and 0-5 oh against Power 5 out of conferences without Sam Darnold. 2-9 and nine against the Sagarin Top 30 without Sam Darnold. How about overall in his career as a, as a head coach at USC? 3-5 and five against Power 5 out-of-conference opponents. 13-14 and 14 against Power 5 teams with a winning record. Now we're going to start getting into these stats, right? Who cares if USC beats up on their little brothers and teams that are way, way, way less talented than them? Anytime USC has to deal with a legitimate contender, they get punched in the mouth. And it's embarrassing. 11-11 and 11 against Pac-12 teams with a winning record. This year... Zero of the top 20 recruits in California are coming to USC. They are 77th in the nation in recruiting and 11th of 12 in the Pac-12. The one thing that USC always did well was recruit, and now they're not even doing that anymore. The players don't want to come and play for Coach Helton. They don't, period. I don't care what a great guy he is. How, who cares if someone's a nice guy if they're awful at their job? Last 24 games, 13-11. and 11. This is the same team that was committed to eliminating turnovers. They don't tackle in practice. They have zero sense of urgency. Players in their own, in the own program, former players, former alumni, say they watch and it's disorganized. Everyone's on their own program. It does not look or feel like a team. How about the defense the last few years? 2017, they ranked 68th. 2018, they ranked 60th. In 2019, they ranked 80th. People talk about the strong finish to the year for USC. USC opponents in the last three weeks were a combined 9-14 and 14 in conference. Yeah, that was a great, great finish to your year. You beat up on teams that were atrocious in conference. Very easily could have lost to Arizona State and Colorado this year too. And then, then what are we talking about? Another six and six year after a five and seven year? Reportedly, it would cost USC twenty million dollars to keep Helton. Let's let's go through these numbers a little bit, right? For the buyout for his contract, let's look into what's been happening the last couple years as far as attendance at the USC games because that's money too right if people are showing up or not showing up that's going to cost you a lot of money so in 2017 USC averaged 77,683 fans per home game 2017 the next year 2018 55,449 22,000 fans per game less. And then in 2019, 59,385. So over the last two years, they've averaged around 57,000 fans, 20,000 fans less than they had in 2017, which is already low for the Coliseum. So let's say that it's $100 per person per to get into the game, right? Let, and that's just being generous. 100 bucks for your ticket, for your parking, for your food, for everything, right? It costs people way more than that. That's $9 million per season, and we're doing this on on a very fair average to them. So in 2018, 
2019, 2020, we're talking about around $9 million per year in in lost revenue. They're worried about $20 million in a buyout. It's going to be $25 to $30 million they're going to be losing this year. This year's numbers are going to be way worse than that. If you have not seen what the response has been on, on social media, nobody is happy about this. There was going to be protests at USC. There are going to be a lot of alumni that rescind their season tickets. There are going to be a lot of people that are donating money that are not donating money anymore. And what makes this even worse is, you know who USC plays next year in week one to open the season? Alabama. What's going to happen after you get beat by 30 in week one against Alabama and then your season is done? You're already playing just for the Pac-12 championship in a Rose Bowl again. I'm sorry. I understand that a lot of schools, that's that's their goal. That is not the goal at USC, and it's not because I'm a fan of them. That's not the goal at Ohio State. That's not the goal at Alabama to be mediocre. Go through all those numbers with Nick Saban. You think he has any of those numbers that we just posted against ranked teams, against teams over 500, against teams in the conference? Hell no. That's where USC needs to be. As fans, if they don't take them, if they don't care, and if if the executives and now Mike Bone, they if they don't take it seriously and they're fine with being mediocre, why should we care? I haven't gone to a USC football game in the last couple years, and what's I could go for free if I wanted to. And I don't. I don't want to go support them right now because I'm frustrated with what they've done. When you Support when you fully love something, which I love USC and I love horse racing and I love the Dodgers and I love the Lakers and these teams that I root for as a fan, fanatic. I absolutely love them and WWE, I love too. You have to sometimes give the tough love, right? What's better for the program? Well, it was better for the Lakers to tank a few years and lose. And look what happened. They got some assets. They were able to turn that into Anthony Davis to team with LeBron. So some years of struggle got them into a great spot. When WWE's struggling, I'll be the first to be negative about it when the the shows aren't good. When the Dodgers are struggling, I'll be the first to say, hey, maybe they should have went out and made a move. Maybe they should have done this. I'm, I'm, I think if you 100% support any, anyone or anything and you're never questioning them and you're never a little bit negative, that's bad because nobody deserves to be praised and all positive. Even if it's the love of your life, your best friend, sometimes you have to look them in the eye and say, I don't agree here. This is not going well. Maybe we need to change things. I'm embarrassed. I'm, I'm hurt as a fan. For a, a team and an organization and a school that has been a big part of my family. My sister graduated from there. Uh, as I mentioned, she works there. My my entire family has grown up be uh, rooting for USC. Unlike anything, I had no f- pro football team for a lot of my life when the Rams and the Raiders left LA. And so USC was the, the fill-in pro team, basically, that I rooted for. I mean, hey, we, played our, we paid our players most of the time <laughs> as it was. I'm 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 hurt. I'm frustrated and I'm hurt and I'm upset because they can't be this stupid. I'm plain and simple. Mike Bone did not do his diligence. The new leaders at USC, I'm sorry, 
you just you just completely tarnished your reputation right off the bat. This happened with Hayden. This happened with Lynn Swan. They came in. You make a bad decision or two, and, and you're in some trouble. I could go on for hours with my frustration. I really could. And I'm just, I'm so embarrassed. Okay, let's get on to something a little more positive. Sarah Candle Company, one of the sponsors of That's What G Said podcast. Visit sarahcandles.com, C-E-R-A candles.com. Their goal is to create a candle 100% natural, clean burning, and of the highest quality that everyone can enjoy. I'll give you some reasons why Sarah Candles are the best. All natural soy wax, free from toxins found in paraffin wax, which is used by the other leading brands. The all natural soy wax actually holds your scent better and can burn up to 50% longer than the traditional paraffin wax candle. 100% lead free cotton wicks, completely natural scent. They are made in micro batches and hand poured to ensure the highest quality. 100% locally sourced and handcrafted in the USA. There are 25 different scents available. Three different sizes, fragrance oil that are infused with natural essential oils. They are the best ingredients, quality packaging, affordable pricing, longer burning, no toxins, no carcinogens, no pollutants that are present in paraffin wax. Like anything, you want to keep your candle clean and you want to make sure you're burning it and you're and you're doing everything with the wick correctly. So they have instructions and details on how to keep your candle clean and safe and how to ensure the perfect burn. Created by people who love candles. They started out experimenting, trying to create the perfect candle, and now they have blossomed into Sarah Candle Company. C-E-R-A Candle Company. SarahCandles.com is the website. Promo code G-I-N-O for 10% off of your purchase. Perfect time right now, holiday season. Great gift for someone out there. I'm going to be loading up on Sarah Candles. Visit sarahcandles.com, Sarah Candle Company. Don't forget, promo code G-I-N-O for 10% off your purchase. NFL, we are three quarters of the way through, 75% of the way through the NFL season, which is pretty insane to think about. And I want to give some thoughts on all of the teams and kind of give a little, uh, little like three quarters of the way through progress report. So let's start out let's go conference by conference. Let's start on the AFC in the AFC East where the Pats are 10 and 2. And we saw you know the Patriots early in the season absolutely dominating. Uh they had a really really soft schedule where they played Miami, the Jets, Washington, the Giants, the Jets, <laughs> you know, in a 6-week span. Their defense the last few weeks we've seen their they're not this all-worldly, all-time defense. They're just a good defense. They've allowed 21 points a game uh, over the last four. And they're 2-2 two and two in, that spre- in that stretch with losses at Baltimore and at Houston. And that's why they're in a little bit of trouble. Because now they are not, the, the one, they are not controlling their own destiny anymore. And I- I'm... I'm a little worried about the Patriots because their offense does not have the type of playmakers that we're used to seeing. They don't have any sexy wide receivers. Their backs are just okay. Honestly, their best offense is James White out of the backfield. There was a weird, weird play in their game over the weekend where they lined up to go for two. They took a delay of game penalty. Brady just looks pissed off in general. Their entire team, a lot of them were sick over the weekend, so... 
I know it sounds weird for a 10 and 2 team, it doesn't feel there's not a lot of positivity emanating from the Patriots. And then you move down to you know the team below them, the Bills are a little different, but one one more Patriots uh note before we we move on. Brady. This is a uh, from Pro Football Focus. He's no longer able to paper over those cracks simply with the excess greatness he has carried. He's now 42. He just needs a little help from the players around him. He's not the problem in New England, but for the first time, he might not be able to overcome what is. He's actually still a top 10 quarterback this year, and his overall grade is is very good. He's behind Russell Wilson, Drew Brees, Kirk Cousins, Lamar Jackson, Aaron Rodgers, Stafford, Dak Prescott, Deshaun Watson, and Derek Carr. So we're talking about Brady as being a still solid quarterback, but not the man who could carry the load and, and pick up the slack for the Pats when they needed it. We're talking about a, a Patriots team now that might have, I mean, they've got a Kansas City Chiefs team coming up this week. They better be careful because they got a Bills game still after that. And they're going to, and like, unless Baltimore... Stubs their toes somewhere. They're going to have to go on the road and probably beat Baltimore in the playoffs. How about the 9-3 and three Bills who just continue to win games? They, they have a really tough schedule coming up, though. They have Baltimore, Pittsburgh, and New England in their next few games. But the real key for the Bills, because they have improved a lot from the team at the beginning of the year that was kind of squeaking by, They're just not making a whole lot of mistakes. They're not turning the ball over a ton. Josh Allen is able to pick up first downs with his legs. They're running the ball well with Gore and with Singletary. We got to give it up for Gore, who, you know, the question's coming around now, is he a Hall of Famer? Gore is is someone who, he wasn't even supposed to be in the league this long. He had issues with both of his knees both of his shoulders. But keep in mind, he had a pretty good, this is from uh, Monday Morning Quarterback with Peter King, he had a pretty good 10-year stretch where he had 11, He averaged 1,132 rushing yards, 4.4 yards per rush, and 15 games per year for Gore. Big game coming up, though, for the Bills. They've moved up uh, real nicely in DVOA also. They're up to the number 11th ranked team overall in the league. Actually, when, when you weight it, they're the number ninth team overall in weighted DVOA. They have the number 6th defense in the league. And their offense is starting to improve more and more each week. The Jets, I just every time the Jets like, take a nice step or two forward, they take a couple steps backwards. And this was a bad week for the Jets uh, this weekend. I just... I think this is kind of who the Jets are, right? I think Adam Gase is not a very good coach. I think Sam Darnold, who we're just praising when uh, how good a college quarterback he was. I just don't know if he is going to be a top five quarterback in the league. He might be a franchise guy who is going to have some good years and some bad years and some inconsistency. But at four and eight, he just felt like the Jets were going to have a little bit better of a year, especially after they put together three wins in a row and they have just such a disappointing week uh, last week. They Beat up the Raiders. Just beat up the Raiders, and then you lose to the Bengals. And that's a tough one to get to get past. 
about the Miami Dolphins, though? You know, we we have to give credit to some of these teams that improve, and I'm really, really impressed with the with the Miami Dolphins, and in particular with their coaching staff. I think Brian Flores has done an amazing job. A team who could have very, very easily just packed it in early on. They had an insane play over the weekend where they, I think uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick said, this is not, this is the NFL. Like, what are they dreaming up? That's not, that doesn't happen. I I don't think it'd ever be called in a game. A crazy flip. So the punter threw a backhanded touchdown flip to the kicker. And they scored seven points. That was a touchdown in a game Miami won by six. And Miami just beat the Eagles this week. They're 3-2 and two in the last month. Six weeks ago, we thought this was going to be an 0-16 team. I think Brian Flores is a good coach, and I think that there are, are a lot of players on Miami that are improving, and it seems like they're figuring something out because they play hard most weeks. They, they really do. You, you just cannot, cannot say enough about the Baltimore Ravens who have actually moved to the number one team in DVOA. So they are the number one ranked team in the league. What's most impressive about them is they have the number one offense, they have the number four defense, and they have the number two special teams. They are great on all sides of the ball. They don't turn the ball over. They're very well coached, and they have a great kicker. Like, what is, where is their weakness? What is their weakness? Earlier in the year, we thought it was the defense. We thought you could throw on them. We thought you could score on them. The defense has improved a ton. Justin Tucker has made 37 straight fourth quarter field goals. 37! He's probably the best kicker of all time. I I don't know how you stop this team if, if Lamar Jackson's healthy. And San Francisco did a damn good job of it this weekend. Uh, they, they really did as, as good of a job as you possibly can trying to, to slow him down. But there was also weather... Baltimore turned the ball over going in. Lamar did. So this is a very, very good football team. And they are they're going to be the number one seed unless they, they have a hiccup. It's funny to think about that this late into the season, the Buffalo Bills who play the Ravens this week, the Buffalo Bills could still be the number one seed in the AFC. Because they have games against the Ravens and the Patriots, I don't. I don't think they will be, but they could likely win. They could win those two games, and they could be the number one seed. Mike Tomlin has done an incredible job with the Steelers this year. Roethlisberger hurt. You lose Le'Veon Bell. You lose Antonio Brown. You lose Juju. You lose James Conner. This team somehow squeaks wins out. I don't know how they do it, and I'm. I still don't think they're very good. They have a few wins on their right uh, that they just shouldn't have won. For example, the Colts game. I mean, the Colts just missed a field goal that would have won the game. Plain and simple. I don't know how they ended up beating the Rams. Uh, I, the Chargers was a weird one where they crushed them and then the Chargers came back late. You have to give Tomlin some credit for the job he has done with this team. Since week six, Matt Ryan has won two games, Phillip Rivers has won two, Carson Wentz has won two, and Devlin Duck Hodges has won three. Steelers are 7-5 and five this year, and in the past four weeks, they've scored 17, 7, 16, and 20, and they're 3-1. and one. 
They said that they somehow just manufacture wins. And that's that's what we've seen this Steelers team doing. They find a way to win. And they had to deal with the Mason Rudolph thing a few weeks ago. All the stuff with the Browns where the Browns you know, crushed them. And then you have to play this team a few weeks later. You got to be thinking there's some some buzz for Mike Tomlin for coach of the year just because what he's been able to do with with this group to me is unbelievably impressive. And then the Browns who I've I've like I like the Browns, you know, I do cuz I the reason why I like the Browns is mainly because everybody's jumped off the Browns and they're a super talented team. They're just poorly coached. Go through their schedule again. They got beat up week 1 against Tennessee and it's funny that the result looks better because Tennessee has played a lot better and it wasn't nearly that bad of a game. They were close late and they just completely gave the game away. They lost at at the Rams in a game when they or they lost against the Rams in a game that they absolutely could have won. They should have beat Seattle. They were up big that entire game and they that was a game that they kind of got screwed a little bit by the officiating. Just Shooting themselves in the foot against the Patriots with what the three consecutive turnovers in a row in that game. They actually ran the ball really well against the Pats. Chubb had 131 yards rushing. And then in Denver, you hurt yourself again. You can't score and you can't put the ball in the end zone when it's, you know, when it's goal to go. Then they win three games in a row and come back in again. They're up 10 0 against Pittsburgh. There are at the very least, the Seattle game the Denver game, and the Pittsburgh game, that should be flipped. Then we're talking about a team that's 8-4. and four. And it's not like, oh, they maybe, they they should have been. How, how, how good is this Browns team if they're coached by Bill Belichick? Okay, let's, let's not say Bill Belichick. Let's say someone else. How good is this Browns team if they're coached by Frank Reich, who I think's had a, a, str- a little bit of a struggle this year? Still a really good coach. A competent coach wins four more, three or four more games with this team. A good coach would not lose many. This is one of the most talented rosters in the league, and they just have zero organization, zero leadership. Five and seven, though, and still the opportunity with Cincinnati, Arizona, and Cincinnati still left. They could very easily go three and one and end up, you know, eight and eight. It's not going to do them any good. They got us. They still have to play Baltimore at home. It's funny they beat, they crushed Baltimore, the best team in the league right now, and the Browns beat them up at Baltimore on the road. Bengals got their win this week. Doesn't look like we're gonna get AJ Green at all this year. I thought they would. They, they started Andy Dalton and they were able to get a win, so we're not gonna have any 0-4 teams this year. Everybody has a win now. There are some some pretty bad teams though. Towards the bottom, uh, the bottom of the pack. Before we move out of the AFC North division, okay, Freddie Kitchens. I've I've kind of stuck up for him a lot this year. Freddie Kitchens wore a T-shirt that said Pittsburgh started it to the movies with his daughter last week. Now he was going to see the Mister Rogers movie, and Mister Rogers is from Pittsburgh. He said, "My daughters wanted me to wear the T-shirt. I'd wear it again." If you beat Pittsburgh. Wear, your t- wear the t-shirt. If you swept them, after the game, bring the t-shirt out and wear it on the freaking podium. I don't care. Why do you do it before the game, the week 
before leading up, why do you give another team bulletin board material? I'm going to go back to Belichick again because he's one of the greatest ever. Could you see Bill Belichick wearing a shirt to try to give an opponent, a rival of theirs, some additional reason to want to kick their butt? Absolutely not. Bill Belichick does the complete opposite. Nobody on the Patriots ever opens their mouth and says anything. And this Browns team is just, just in shambles again with a lot of talent. You know, this is, I've seen a lot of Browns fans saying this, this is worse than the years where you win one or oh, or zero. You know, you're, you're, you don't know if you're going to win a game. This is worse because you, you, you're in every game and you just find ways to lose. Over in the AFC South, the Texans are starting to play some good football. And they came off a very big win where former Patriots staffer Bill O'Brien was finally able to get a victory against the Patriots. It's just not something he's he was able to do very often. Actually, that's his, his first ever win. Yeah, his first ever win against Belichick. Uh, he was on Belichick's staff in New England. Since, they, since Bill O'Brien got the job it, with the Texans, They've lost to the Patriots by 21, 27, 18, 3, and 7. They had a real good game plan. They had a trick play up their sleeves. Watson can control the game for you. And this Houston Texans team, they look like they have a nice uh, stranglehold on the division right now. As they we saw, you know, we saw Houston get beat up a couple weeks ago by Baltimore and then since then they had a couple really important games against Indianapolis, against New England. And what do they do? Victory, victory. So they're back in, in the driver's seat now. And they're in real good shape. They do have two huge games coming up with Tennessee still in their final four. So that's going to be the difference in in settling the division. And the Colts are going to kind of sit back and relax and hope that they can, they can improve a little bit because the Colts are just continuing to throw away games, give away games. Now, Vinatieri, 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 Vinatieri. It's amazing when you go from being one of the greatest of all times and you kind of, if they say what, Father Time is undefeated. So let's compare two kickers, Justin Tucker and Vinatieri this year. Justin Tucker. Combining field goals and point afters. 33-yard attempts. Here are the numbers. Tucker against Vinatieri. Tucker, 66 of 68, 97%. Vinatieri, 39 of 53, 73%. The 14 misses by Vinatieri in 12 games this year matches his total misses in 32 regular season games in 2017 and 2018. You're losing games because of him. You literally lose games because of of Vinatieri. Now, this week, the Colts are going in to to take the lead, to go up by three, and to probably win this game against Tennessee. Instead, they lose 31-17 because the kick was run back for a touchdown. They lost to Houston by a field goal. They lost to Miami, and they lost to Pittsburgh literally because he missed a field goal to win the game. You just can't have this happen anymore. And it's 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 sad for a, an all-time great, you know, to see him struggle. But 
The Colts sacked Tannehill five times in the first half. They had a 17-7 lead. There was also a weird play in this game where the Colts challenged a play because they thought it was a catch and a fumble they recovered. The replay determined it was a catch, it was a fumble, but there was no recovery, so Tennessee retained. And then because the Colts didn't win the challenge, the original incomplete call stands, even though replay showed it was a catch. It shouldn't be this hard to watch football and understand the rules. It really shouldn't because they keep changing and we don't know, even those of us who have played football and who know football well, we don't know what's a catch. We don't know what's a penalty. We don't know if something's going to be overturned anymore. It's exhausting. The Colts made it inside the Titans 44 times in the first half in five non-kneel down possessions and they only had 10 points thanks to a pair of no good Adam Vinatieri field goals. Brissett wasn't great, but when, when your kicker is one for four with two block kicks... I'm going to blame Vinatieri. And then the Jacksonville Jags, who were just miserable the last couple weeks ever since they've gone back to Nick Foles. Minshew was playing really well for them, and then he kind of started to struggle a little bit. It seemed like the the league figured him out a little bit. But at least with Minshew, is you get someone who can kind of scramble around, create some plays, really just feels like Foles is, is banged up and he came back way too early. In the AFC West, the Chiefs are the scary team now. This was my Super Bowl pick before the season. They have a game this weekend against the Patriots. And if Mahomes is healthy, he looks healthy, they're as good as anyone. They can beat Baltimore. They showed it earlier on in the year. Defensively, are they good enough to stop? Maybe. Their defense came up with some plays this week, and I I don't know if it was more of Derek Hart just looking Horrible, or you know the Chiefs looking that good, but the Chiefs' first two drives started in Oakland territory after Raider turnovers last week, and the Raiders, who two weeks ago they got crushed by the Jets, and then they come back, they were in the driver's seat for an AFC wild card. They looked very competent. What what was? What seemed to be the case with the Raiders is that they were playing like a team that was just very well coached. They weren't making a lot of mistakes. They weren't hurting themselves. They beat Indy in a close game. They beat Chicago in a close game. They had a close game back and forth with Houston where they barely lost. They very easily could have won that game. They beat Detroit. They beat the Chargers. They beat the Bengals on close games. And then they just did not show up back-to-back weeks And this week, Jacobs had eight carries for 55 yards early in the game, and he's off the field in a fourth and one. At halftime, the Raiders had the ball for more than 17 minutes. They outgained Kansas City 189 yards to 127, and they were down 21-0. Then on a third and goal from the eight, there was an interception of Patrick Mahomes in the end zone. But since all turnovers are reviewed, they actually determined that the player interfered with Demarcus Robinson, Mullen, who made the interception. So instead of the interception, Kansas City got a first down, and they scored a touchdown right after that. At the end of the third quarter, the Raiders only had one pass reception by a wide receiver. With, without Hunter Renfro right now, they have nobody to help make plays. Absolutely nobody to make plays. And then two, four, and eight teams at the bottom of the AFC West. First up, the Chargers. 
We say it every year. The Chargers going to charge her. They find ways to lose. Well, I think this, this can basically be a snapshot of your season. The eight Chargers losses this year have been by three, seven, 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 three, two, seven, and three. They haven't gotten blown out one time. And then you have the Broncos who actually started um, Drew Locke over the weekend and and he didn't look bad. But you notice it's another team that's just had quarterback issues all throughout the year. This is their what third different quarterback they've had to start. Zero consistency. I don't think Fangio is really uh, a top-tier, top-level head coach. I think he's more of a, a good coordinator. And... You know, they've been a team that's been a little bit unlucky in a couple of their losses. You just watch them and they don't score enough points. They don't have enough offensively. They don't seem to have the right offensive scheme. Lost a game to Chicago early in the season that they should have won. That was a terrible uh, official officiated game at the end. Uh, that Green Bay game was not as... Uh, it looked like they got beat up, but they were right in that game. They lost, Their first four losses, they could have won three of them. They could have won against the Colts. You look at the Minnesota game where they were up huge and then they blew that game. The difference between winning and losing in the NFL, right? The margin of error, so small. So right now the AFC playoff picture looks like the Ravens up top. They're the number one seed. The Patriots are currently the number two seed. They are 10-2. and two. And then you have the Chiefs, the Texans at 8-4. and four. See what happens with them in the next few weeks. And then behind them, you have the Bills who are 9-3. And, and you have the Steelers who are 7-5. The Titans who are 7-5. The Colts who are in that mix at 6-6. Six and six, The Raiders on the outside looking in at 6-6. Six and six. They still have a chance, but it's tough to be confident in them in the, the way they've played the last few weeks. Let's get to the NFC. What do you do if you're the Dallas Cowboys? I mean, we're hearing all the jokes about the NFC East, the NFC least, and you know they're 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 just taking turns losing to bad teams repeatedly. The division is three and ten as a, as a whole since week ten. You look at the schedules for you know for Dallas and for the Eagles, and it's really going to come down to the game where they play against each other, Eagles Dallas. Dallas still with a really, really good offense. They are the number two offense in DVOA. Dallas is the number seven team in football. So they're still considered to be a top 10 team. And Philly is actually the the number 10 team in overall DVOA. Dallas is eight. Philly's 11 on weighted DVOA. It just shows you the coaching, right? How about the Eagles? They're only 15 and 15 since winning the Super Bowl 22 months ago. This Dallas team has losses this year to the Jets and now Buffalo. The, the rest of their losses, they don't look that bad, right? They lost to the Saints, they lost to Green Bay, they lost to Minnesota, they lost to the Patriots. You just can't beat a good team. Now they got a Thursday night football game at Chicago. Talk about two teams who have had disappointing years, but Dallas is still in the playoffs right now. The season ended, Dallas is in the playoffs. But let's look at their schedule. They've got at the Bears, a Rams team that looked a little bit better last week, and then at the Eagles, and then end with Washington. You can literally lose these next two games and win the final two and still get in. Adios, Jason Garrett. You got to make some changes.
got to make some changes. And I think some changes should be coming also for the Eagles. Because this is a team who, yes, they've been a little bit banged up this year. Um, yes, we, you know, we have some some concern about Carson Wentz and, and uh, about, you know, their offensive playmakers. But they played the Giants twice in Washington in their last four games along with Dallas. They could go 4-0. But this is an Eagles team that just lost to a team that many think is the worst team in the league in Miami. So it it's hard to look at a schedule and project them to, to win those games because they just lost to the Dolphins. And then the Redskins. I, I don't know what to do with Haskins. I did like to see Geis running the ball very well. That's a positive. Th- this team, to me, is in worse shape than most franchises because I don't know what their plan is. I don't know what their ownership group is doing. I, I just I, I don't trust them. And then how about the Giants? They're two and ten. They are miserable. There is zero reason why the Giants should be this bad. Yes, they've missed Barkley for a few games this year. They have some playmakers. I, I think another coaching change is going to be uh, coming up for the Giants very, very soon. The NFC North got really interesting this last week with the the Vikings just losing to the Seahawks. Because now we have the Packers who are 9 and 3, but they have Washington, Chicago, at Minnesota and at Detroit. 3 and 1 gets them to 12 and 4. They're in a very good spot with a very beneficial final four games of the season left. And the Vikings played really well. They did. And Cousins has, has played well. He played well again this weekend, in, this week on Monday in a primetime game, in a primetime situation. To me, they're one of the most well-rounded teams in the league, Minnesota. You look at them, they have a, just based on DVOA, they are the number seven ranked team overall in the league. They have the 6th ranked offense, the 11th ranked defense. So they're a pretty well-balanced team, and they're 18th in special teams, so it's not like they're miserable in special teams. That's good balance. They looked like a, they look like a legitimate playoff team to me. And then we, we the Bears talked about the Bears are going to have to deal with uh, the Cowboys this week. And one thing that's a little scary for Bears fans is they're 6-6 six and six now. But in the last few weeks, the games that they've played against pretty bad teams where they've been able to come up with a couple victories, Trubisky has actually looked pretty good. His best four games of the season have been in his last four outings. Three of them are the only times this year where he's actually had good or better ranked pro football focus grades. So it's scary, though, because if he just played at this level all the time, they'd have opportunities to win games, but he, he hasn't because... He can't play this well against better defenses or better teams. Remember, two of these games we're talking about came against the Lions, who, unfortunate for the Lions because Stafford was having such a good year and the Lions were having such a a good start to the year. They were 2-0-1. They looked like a team that had an opportunity to make some noise. And there is an unbelievable stat about... The running game for the Lions. So this is something 
that I had to like double check and, and look at it multiple times. The Lions just cannot ever find a way to run the ball, period. In the 10 years that Barry Sanders played from eight from 1989 to 1998, the Detroit Lions finished in the top 16 in rushing every year. In the 20 full seasons since he retired, they have never finished in the top 16. Detroit's NFL rank in rushing yardage with Sanders. They were 8th, 11th, 10th, 16th, 7th, 3rd, 14th, 12th, 2nd, 10th. They were ranked an average 9.3. So they were in the average around the ninth best team in the league as far as rushing. Since then, 28th, 20th, 28th, 29th, 32nd, 19th, 26th, 32nd, 31st, 30th, 24th, 23rd, 29th, 23rd, 17th, 28th, 32nd, 30th, 32nd, 18th, 18th again this year, average ranking 26 plus. They've played 21 years, the last 21 years, which is actually 21% of the history of the NFL with a bad running game every year. This is another Monday morning quarterback stat. Unbelievable. Big game this weekend coming up for the Saints, who have quietly not really been playing that well the last few weeks. But when you dig into the game against Atlanta a little bit, they allowed Atlanta to run 85 plays, but they hit, pressured, or sacked Matt Ryan on 37 of 59 pass drops. And they only allowed 4.1 yards per play while forcing two fumbles and intercepting Matt Ryan twice. So it's the defense that has kind of continued to step up and improve for the Saints. How about the Bucks? Now up to five and seven. You get... You, James, good Jameis, you get bad Jameis You just never know which version of Jameis you're going to get What do they do with Jameis? Is Arians a fan of his 5-7 and seven team Right like Carolina 5-7 and seven, Who just fired their head coach Ron Rivera And Isn't it crazy how quickly things can change for you? This was A Panthers team That just a few weeks ago Was right in the mix Remember, Cam Newton got hurt and, and and then Allen's playing well And everybody starts talking about Oh, who knows, maybe Cam Newton's not going to get his job back Maybe Allen's the quarterback of the future here This team was 4-2 and two before heading to San Francisco They lost at San Francisco Then they beat Tennessee They lost at Green Bay, against Atlanta At New Orleans, and against Washington And that was the game that That just got Ron Rivera fired Losing, at, losing against Washington at home Really no excuses there You have one of the best players in the league You have to think it's a very Enticing job And they have some young people In in leadership positions that are Very into analytics and that um, I think are going to be looking for An analytic type coach Someone who's maybe young And who's willing to To go for it And then the Atlanta Falcons at 3 and 9 They just need a lot of changes it's been another disappointing season for them. It's just been disappointment after disappointment after disappointment ever since they took that big lead in the Super Bowl. Maybe the best division in football is the NFC West, where you have, I mean, the 49ers, they could get really screwed here this year. They, right now, I watched that 49ers game, you know, with when they played Baltimore. And how do you come out of that game? Thinking anything other than San Francisco is one of the best teams in the league, right? Tough loss at Baltimore. Their only other loss this year against Seattle in overtime. 
But this is where things could get tricky for them. They got to go play at New Orleans this week. I think a total coin flip game could go either way, right? They lose to New Orleans. They're in some trouble. Then they got Atlanta at home, they'll probably beat. And they got the Rams at home, who they'll probably beat. But we've seen the Rams, they looked better last week. I'm not willing to say the Rams are back. But you're telling me there's not at least a 10, 15, 20% chance they lose that game to the Rams? And then they got to go finish the season at Seattle. And you already lost to Seattle earlier in the year. So they got a three three games in the final four that are tough after just playing Baltimore, Green Bay, and Seattle in three of the last four games. And then they had a tough game against Arizona. So the back half of the schedule has been brutal for San Francisco. And for me, it's more of they could be a, a five seed having to go on the road and play like Dallas or Philly. And you just don't want to do that after the, the year that they've had. Jimmy G's able to make plays. They're just so well coached. They don't make a lot of mistakes. And the defense, they played as well against Lamar Jackson as I think anybody possibly could have imagined. And Seahawks, who I just, I don't think they're that good. I really don't. I watch the Seahawks each week in, week out. Their defense is middle of the road. Their special teams are okay. They have a good offense. They run the ball well. And then they have Russell Wilson that can make plays for them. That's, that's really what their team is. And can Wilson, like we saw the game again when, when Baltimore went over and, and, and beat up Seattle. Can Wilson do it every week? You can do it maybe three or four games in a row or here and there, but when you have to carry the team over and over and over again, it gets tough. And remember, New Orleans beat Seattle, so New Orleans has the one seed over Seattle. Seattle beat San Francisco, so they've got the tiebreaker over San Francisco right now. They still have a game at the end of the year. So that's actually the reason why San Francisco is not your, you know, right up at the top battling to be the number one seed. This is a huge game for them, though. They beat New Orleans, and they're right back in the mix. Just look at how much better the NFC is compared to the AFC, right? In the NFC, we legitimately have teams that the Packers, the Vikings, the Saints, the Seahawks, the 49ers. I think there are five legitimately good teams. And then if you told me that the Rams, that the Bears, that the Cowboys or the Eagles, any one of those teams started to play well for the final four weeks of the season, you're talking about a legitimate six teams in the playoffs that are good in the NFC. Then you look at the AFC. You have Baltimore. The Patriots have been struggling a little bit. The Texans and the Chiefs are the next tier. And then the wild cards, we're talking about a Bills team who's okay. And then the the final wild card is going to either be the Pittsburgh team, a Titans team, a Raiders team. To me, the NFC is just so much deeper and so much top-heavy. Those top three or four teams with the Seahawks, the 49ers, and the Saints there. And then I think the Packers and, and maybe the Vikings in like the tier below them. I've been impressed with the Cardinals throughout most of the year. They struggled last week against the Rams, and that just kind of felt like a game the Rams needed, and the Rams were going to try to beat up on them. Just some uh, other closing thoughts, too, before we transition into into horse racing. Derrick Henry, over his last 16 games, Titans running back. This is a stat I saw from Field Yates. 319 carries, first in the league. 
1,725 yards first in the league, 5.1, uh, 5.41 yards per carry, 18 rushing touchdowns first in the league, 20 catches for 221 yards and two touchdowns, 1,946 in total yards, which is second. And this year, he's also first in yards after contact and yards after contact per attempt. So as this Titans team kind of flies under the radar a little bit and Tannehill just continues to play well. Um, keep in mind that that team goes as Derrick Henry goes. And in football, we see with these teams, it's it's the key is just not making mistakes, right? Ryan Tannehill is 5-1 since taking over. Last week, thir- he was 17-22 of 22 for 182 yards and two touchdowns. But he just is... A solid game manager. Jared Goff. You know what? People ripped Jared Goff and said he's been struggling all throughout there. He has. But this week, they got him back. Kind of doing what worked for the Rams. The ball out of his hand quickly. He had 323 yards passing at halftime. 425 yards and a 74% completion. And they ran the ball well. That was the Rams' first win or only second win since October the 28th. Got to make a note about Taysom Hill, what he did on Thanksgiving. He rushed for a touchdown, caught a touchdown pass, and blocked a punt in the first half. Talk about a a jack-of-all-trades, huh? Someone who can really, you say, just go in and make a big play for you? George Kittle, one of the best players in the NFL, awesome tight end. He was banged up, and he ended up playing all 55 offensive snaps on Sunday. He's the guy who's going to make big plays for them down the stretch. Absolutely love Kittle. Some coaches to keep an eye on the hot seat. We mentioned Jacksonville, Doug Marone. Uh, they've lost four in a row, 23, 20, 22, and 17. And then they've had to go back and forth with their quarterbacks. The Giants have lost eight straight. Pat Shermer is 7-22 and 22 as a Giants head coach. Matt Patricia and Detroit, uh, they're 8-1 and one in the last 10 weeks. How about the Josh Shaw story? Arizona cornerback who was injured, he got caught gambling on football and he is out of the league till 2021 for gambling on football. Played a, played a wager against the Cardinals. We will have our plays of the week for NFL after a, we had a struggling week in the NFL last week. I think we went a total of uh 1 and 3 and so for the with the uh, NFL plays we are 30, 38 and 35. So a little over 500 and we've, and I play some money lines. So I'll do the numbers at the end and see, like, I never try to say one unit, two units. I just kind of give you the play. Cause everything, everybody's plays are different. Um, so let's hope to, uh, end the season strong. Now three quarters of the way through over 500. They're just back up to 500 in, uh, in NCAA football. Let's get you over to some horse racing action. Before we do, I want to uh, say hello to one of the sponsors of That's What G Said podcast. Cindy Carava, full-service realtor, Cindy Carava. She can help you out with anything that you need. The website is cindycarava.com, or you can send her an email, cindyc.realtor at gmail.com. Full-service realtor, she can help you with purchasing, leasing, selling. If you are just trying to improve your home and you're looking for, you know, handymen or uh, gardeners or landscapers, she can connect you to people that she knows and she has worked 
with in her own homes. If you need help getting a loan or getting pre-approved for a loan, she can connect you with a lender. One of the kindest, sweetest, most genuine people I've ever met in my life. She will tell you exactly what you need to do and she will help you more than anyone. Just let her know what you need. Let her know what you're looking for. If you're just interested in a finding out your home's value, she can do a free market analysis for you. She covers all parts of the San Diego, North San Diego County, um, San Gabriel Valley. So I'm talking about places right next to the racetracks, Santa Anita, Del Mar. If you want to find any or more information about her, she's all over social media. Cindy Carava on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. Find reviews on Yelp or on Zillow. But CindyCarava.com, you can get all of that contact information. CindyC.Realtor at gmail.com. Just send her an email and she'll help you out. Make sure to let her know that Gino said hi. Okay, let's close things out with some horse racing. We're going to bounce around on Thursday. Let's go December the 5th, Thursday. We're going to go to Fairgrounds first. So get your Thursday Fairgrounds past performances out. We have uh, four races at Fairgrounds we're going to be looking at. Remember, it's the value line, right? So if there's horses that we like, we're going to play them if they're at that price. If they get bet down, that's the line. We don't want to go any shorter than that. So let's go to race number four and let's go to the six. Sense of self. The debut broke well. He sat second. She sat second. And she was just a really good, clear-cut second that day. I thought it was a, a, a nice effort. She couldn't get to the favorite. Ununderstandable. And we go to the October 6th race. She's forwardly placed. She's pressing. She's just outside the leader. She's... All in early, I think going a little bit too far. Last time out, you can tell, moves from Keeneland to Indy. So facing softer, the, the favorite last time out. But they went 50-2 and two to the half a mile. So she's chasing really slow fractions. Now you add the blinkers, which I really like. Now you cut back. You're going to be sitting a little closer. You're going to have a little more punch. The surface doesn't concern me at all. Uh, the dam was a grade three winner who actually won her first six starts. There's not a ton of immediate grass pedigree. And I'm looking at some of the the running lines. You know, Ununderstandable, who won in her debut, went on to finish second against first level allowance company at Keeneland behind a horse named Lucky Jingle who just was a stakes place at Gulfstream Park over the weekend. So I like the common rivals there. Let's go to the number six. Sense of self in race number four at Fairgrounds will make a win wager at anything over seven to two. In race number five, there are two horses I want to mention because I think that the two forced, the four flashy brew might get bet a little bit and they're both coming off of layoffs. We haven't seen forced since January. We haven't seen flashy brew since July. And I think forced, Kai Patron, Flashy Brew, all are going to bring pace to the party here, along with Chesapeake Bay and along with Bird Dog. So that gets me to the one hidden ruler who, yeah, loves to finish second, right? Just one for 11 with five seconds. But this is a great, great spot for him. He's actually getting, you know, on paper, maybe even a little bit of class relief. Most recently, he broke on top. He sat fifth. He was about four or five wide. He was just a couple lengths off. He loomed up at the top of the lane. It was a clear-cut second. Couldn't hold off the late rally from the winner. Stay happy. The trip is really going to be the key for him. Can he sit from the rail? I hope he doesn't get caught up and forced to go because he will have a major recency advantage if he can just take back a little bit. 
Hidden Ruler. And I will include the 7 Grove Daddy in some of your exotics. I think the 7 is the same type of setup. Grove Daddy should have every opportunity to get some pace to run out in here. The reason why I prefer the one Hidden Ruler is because this is 6 furlongs. If this was 6.5 or 7 furlongs, I would give Grove Daddy more of a shot. I'm just a little bit worried he gets outrun. His last start, he had a slow start. He was dead last. He was 10 lengths off. He was 7 behind the other 7 horses in the field. So he's 7 lengths behind the, the other pack of the horses in the slop. And Macho Jack was lone speed. Grove Daddy angles 5 wide with a big sustained move. He had to work a little bit to get by Jack, but it was a nice win at Keeneland against Maiden 50s. I'm going to use the 7 in some of the exotics here. We'll bet the 1 hidden ruler if we can get anything around 3 to 1 or so. And make sure to use Grove Daddy in all of the exotics, exactas, or if you're playing any multi-race exotics. So for me, it's going to be 1-7 in race number 5. At Fairgrounds. Let's get you to race number six at Fairgrounds. We're going to go to the six, Ginseng. I think this one's going to get bet down a little bit. I wouldn't be shocked if he's like five to two. That's the limit. We don't want to take really anything less than three to one if you're making a win wager on the six. His most recent start, uh, her most recent start, I really liked. Her debut, she was a winner going gate, uh, going, sitting off the pace a little bit at Indy. Then at Saratoga in the PG Johnston, she hooked up a tough group. She was behind Christelle and Sweet Melania. Then last time out, step slow. Then she gets crossed over on. And then she kind of gets backed out of a spot. She ends up three deep just outside of Dominga, who you see in this same race, the number 10 Dominga. She was five lengths off. And then in the two path, kept to the inside, just lost fourth. It's a better race than it looks on paper. It really wasn't bad at all. Then she had some excuses in there and some traffic trouble. The number six, Ginseng. We're going to make a win wager at three to one and key this one in your exotics. Let's get you to race number eight at Fairgrounds. We're going to go to the number 10 in here, Ore Juice. I think the, the two Brendan Walshes are going to get bet and they both have a, a big shot in here, the five and the 10. But I'm going to, I'm going to go to the 10 Ore Juice instead. Coming off a, a short two and a half month break, She's coming out of some really tough races. She just didn't like the, the track at Kentucky last time out. That's fine. Just put a line right through it. Let's look at the races prior to that. She's behind a horse named Lift Up, who just won a lifted stakes, uh, who won a, lifted, a listed stakes next out and is a grade three winner since. Look at a horse named She's on the Warpath, who won a stakes at Indiana Ground next out. How about Juliet Foxtrot? Since facing Juliet Foxtrot back in April, Juliet won an allowance next out, then the grade three modesty, then was second in the grade two John C. Maybe, and then was second in the grade one first lady, and then was third in the grade one matriarch. So that's a nice horse that Aura Juice was not far behind. I think it's a great spot for Aura Juice. If we can get seven to two, we'll make a win wager on the 10. Aura Juice in race number eight. So at Fairgrounds, we have four plays for you. Fourth race, the six, sense of self at seven to two. The fifth race, the one hidden ruler and the seven Grove Daddy. We're going to use them in all of the exotics and, and probably a little win money on hidden ruler. The sixth race, the number six Ginseng at three to one will win. Uh, we'll make a win wager. And the eighth race, the number 10 Aura Juice at seven to two will make a win wager. Let's get you to Gulfstream for Thursday. Past performances out for Gulfstream Park, December the 5th. And let's get you to race number eight. 
at Gulfstream Park. And we're going to go to the one, Timmy M. I, I like the two inside horses the most in here. Timmy M was last chasing a slow pace, made an early wide move, got hooked three deep in a small field, and then was just a little bit flat late. Now down to the inside, should be able to get a completely different type of trip. I think should save all the ground and come rolling. There, there looks to be a good amount of pace in here. Scholar Athlete's going to be close up. Thunder Ride has speed. Cheyenne's Colonel has speed. Freedom Matters is going to be close up. So I think Morocco, coming from off the pace, you look and he was behind Timmy M on October the 10th, but that was his first start in a couple months. So Morocco probably needed the race and has improved in two subsequent starts. For me, it's 1-2. However, you're approaching the late exotics. Um, I'll make a win wager on Timmy M at 5-2. to two. I'll play some exactas. The 1 Timmy M with the 2 Morocco. And then maybe some all over the 1 and the 2. But Timmy M over Morocco in the 8th at Gulfstream Park in race number 9. I like the 9. Zero spent. Debuted, showed that he could come from off the pace a little bit in his debut. Then in career start number two, wins the maiden special weight. Last time out, just no real excuse. And it'll probably just end up giving us a better price in here. Paco jumps aboard. It was the October 5th race, though. He broke on top. He sat second. He moved to the lead easily. I think that's the type of trip he will get. I like the fact that he's speed drawn towards the outside. It should help him sit off the pace a little bit more because, again, this race looks like the two. Tapping Honor has speed. The four, going to be showing some speed. The six, Rio Abajo has some pace. The 10 has some pace. The seven, like you, has some pace. So let's go with the nine. Zero spent. We'll make a win wager at seven to two. Zero spent. And the three, with Verve, will use underneath in some of the exotics. I think a nice horse who will get the same type of setup coming from off the pace. So maybe an under to use in some of your exotics or any of your late exotics. The two plays... At Gulfstream Park for Thursday, the eighth race, the number one Timmy M at five to two will bet to win. We'll use with the two Morocco. And then in the ninth race, the number nine, zero spent, will bet to win at seven to two. We'll use in exotics with the three with Verve. Let's get you on over to Turfway Park. Now under the Churchill Downs umbrella. Turfway Park open on Wednesday. So this is the Thursday card. And we have two plays. No, three plays for you at Turfway. Let's get you to race number five. And I'm going to go to the 12. She's hot today. The September 11th race at Indy wasn't bad. Was two deep towards the rear. Then was three deep. Was nine off. Was ninth of 10. Was chasing a 50 half mile when the winner sat really close up second on the grass. So just had no shot that day. Last time out on the dirt was against... Maiden Claimers got squeezed out of a spot just after the start, was seven, eight lengths off, was inside, moved in between horses, then angled around, was up to within two lengths at the top of the lane, and was just a little bit flat late, ended up grinding into third. I think it's a great spot for She's Hot Today, the number 12. Let's go to the 12. She's Hot Today in race number five at Turfway Park. In race number six, at Turfway Park, we're going to go to the 6 Flat Meadow. That November 2nd race, I thought it was really good. Slow start from the rail, was stuck in, uh, was stuck inside, 
at the mercy of others. Try to move up in between. But at that point, it was just a little bit too late. And uh, the winner had already opened up. And Flat Meadow just misses second there. Thorsu has run okay on a synthetic surface before at Arlington in a race that was taken off the grass. Flat Meadow, the play. Turfway Park, race number six. And then Turfway Park, race number seven. Midnight tea time. I think it's more late punch for this horse at a mile. He was a little flat late last time out. Two starts back was a winner at the mile. Wins on the turf. Wins on the slop. Surface doesn't bother me. Like the synthetic surfaces don't really bother me. I just, most of the time I envision that the horses will probably transfer over the form unless we have a reason to believe otherwise. So midnight tea time in race number seven, the number seven. Okay, so the uh, turfway plays one more time. We have three of them for you. Fifth race, the number 12. She's hot today. Uh, anything around six to one or so worthy of the win wager. She's 12 to one on the morning line. In race number six, Flat Meadow, the number six. I think if you get over three to one, you can make a win wager on Flat Meadow. To me, this looks like the one to beat in here. And in race number seven, we're going to go to the number seven, Midnight Tea Time, who is six to one. To me, seven to two is the value line here. Anything at seven to two or over will make a, mi- a win wager on Midnight Tea Time. So the three plays for you at Turfway Park. On a busy Thursday, let's get you over to Aqueduct. Yes, we have plays from Fairgrounds, Gulfstream, Turfway, and Aqueduct for Thursday, December the 5th. And then a couple plays for Friday for you as well. So Thursday, Aqueduct plays. In race number two, I like the three in here, Allured. Let's go through the recent races for Allured. Back on August the 14th, Came off a near six-month layoff. Then on September the 13th is a race that's on the grass, so irrelevant for this. On October the 3rd, not a bad second in the slop. Came back on October the 20th, wins. And then last time out, was facing a much tougher group behind Network Effect. Was third, was fourth, was in between horses. Was within two at the top of the lane, and then just flattened out. It really wasn't excuses. I actually love the trip. I love the running style. And I think you should have every opportunity to loom up again in here and beat a softer group. The three allured. We'll make a win wager if we can get anything over five to two. Maybe an early single in some of your uh, in your early pick five or early exotics. And then let's go to the fourth race at Aqueduct. I'm going to go to the six. Fabulous fun. Debuted, showed speed, Got a little action in a race that came back strong. Remember, Mucho was very highly regarded. That was in August of 2018. So then a race from August of 2018 to November of 2019. And they had a slow start, was squeezed back, lost all momentum, lost like four lengths getting squeezed out of a spot. Kept to the outside and then had to move back down to the rail, then angled outside to me, looked like a distance horse who should improve. So now you stretch out, you get the mile, you can go second start off the long, long layoff. We know that he has more speed than he was able to flash last out. I like the fact that he should have some fitness, should have a little bottom. Rosario, who was the rider in the debut, is back. Expect a little more speed stretching this pace out. The two plays at Aqueduct. Race number two, the number three, allured at five to one, will make a win wager. And the six... In race number four, 
Fabulous fun. If we can get anything over five to one, we'll make a win wager on that one. Let's get you over to Friday, December the 6th. We have uh, plays at Fairgrounds and plays at Aqueduct for Friday. So get your past performances out. If you're going to take some notes for the Friday races, we're going to go Fairgrounds. Race number two, the one, Into Humor. We tried in the grass for the first time. The surface doesn't really bother me because this horse ran well on the synthetic, on the dirt. The breeding's fine. There's anything like the gaudy for turf. But it's just the races that she's coming out of. Last out, she broke right with the leaders. Then she got stuck inside. She got shuffled back in between horses, was on the heels, was waiting inside, nowhere to go, and then it was too late. Now it's a tough race behind Turtle Tracks, who we just played against Graded Stakes Company the other day. Can she work out a trip from the inside? First time over the grass in this little five and a half turf sprint. That's the main concern is the post position. But I like Into Humor. I think she's well spotted and I think she fits nicely in here. If she was drawn to the outside more, I'd absolutely love her. But we'll still make a win wager on her if we can get three to one on Into Humor. Let's go to race number seven at the fairgrounds, and we're going to go to the four get directions. Blinker's on today for this two-year-old daughter of Street Boss who faced maiden specials at Monmouth going long on the, or going five furlongs on the grass in her debut. She got some action for trainer Michael Stidham, but she hopped at the start. She was six off. She moved through nicely along the inside, and she really ran well in spots. Now the blinks come on. Second time out. Really nice spot for her. Get directions. We'll make a win wager. Uh, anything around 3-1 to one, and maybe a horse to key in in your late exotics there on Friday at the fairgrounds. Let's get you to Friday Aqueduct. And don't worry, folks. We'll have weekend racing for you uh, from Aqueduct, from fairgrounds. Los Alamitos actually has a couple of good stakes race. So on the next episode of That's What G Said, you'll get the NFL plays for the week. We're going to talk all about some of the shows and movies that we're watching on the streaming services. And then we'll give you some uh, horse racing action. We'll also talk some baseball. There's been some uh, player movement and then uh, some trades and some free agency and some NBA. So we'll have a, an action-packed episode of That's What G Said coming out in just a few days. Final races to talk about. Aqueduct. We have three plays for you from Aqueduct for Friday. Let's get to race number two. And we're going to go to the nine. Utrecht who I really liked last time out. It was the first we saw Utrecht since June. He hadn't raced from June to November, and then he broke really well. He secured a spot on the inside. He was tucked in. He was two lengths off. He was in third. He was chasing some really slow fractions, though. They went 51 to the half mile, going a mile and three-eighths. And Utrecht angles out with dead aim. He was just a little flat. He was chasing too slow of a pace. It was his first start in a four and a half month, in four and a half months, and... He was going a mile and three-eighths, the farthest he'd ever been. Plenty of reason to take a step forward off that effort. And I, I like that cutting back, you just have a little bit more punch cutting back to a mile and a sixteenth. Utrecht will make a win wager. Anything over 7-2 to two on the 9 in race number 2 at Aqueduct. Let's get you to race number 7 at Aqueduct. And we're going to go to the number 4, Sweet Meadow Mist. I like the 4 and the 9 a little bit in here. Because it just seems like there's a ton of pace, and those are the two that'll benefit the most. And the reason why I lean to the four from a win wager perspective over the nine is because I'm worried that the nine might be a little too far back going six furlongs. Similar angle that we were using earlier. 
Carlisle Bell would be a little bit better going six and a half or seven. So I'm more inclined to use as an under or maybe just a horse to flop into your late pick fours. But to me, the key is Sweet Meadow Mist, who can show more speed than she showed last time out. She was actually pretty close up from the inside, and then she got shuffled back. She was last. She was six lengths off, waiting behind horses on heels, had to take back and angle all the way around seven wide, and the winner set a perfect trip in third. You look at Overtime Olivia's got some speed, Gilda Marie's got some speed, Fair Lassie's got some speed, Eyes on You, My Last Million, both with some pace. That should set up very nicely for Sweet Meadow Mist. Don't forget about Ella Song with some speed to the outside. The four, Sweet Meadow Mist, will make a win wager at three to one and we'll use in the exotics with the nine. And then race number eight, the number three, First Appeal. Showed some early speed from the rail on November the 14th, and then secured an inside spot, got shuffled, got pushed back, had to wait, and um, fifth was at three lengths off, then angled around, but just couldn't get to the winner. Won the battle for second, and that winner, Hannah Smile, came right back to win again against First Level Allowance Company. To me, that means first appeal is the horse to beat in here, and we'll make a win wager at 7-2. to two. So the three Aqueduct plays for Friday the 6th. Second race, the number 9, Utrecht at seven to two. The seventh race, the number four, Sweet Meadow Mist, will wager at three to one, and we'll use the number nine in Exotics, Carlisle Bell. And the eighth race, the number three, First Appeal at seven to two. Thank you very much, folks. Hope you enjoy this episode of That's What G Said. We'll be back in just a few days, breaking down the NFL, more weekend racing, talking some shows and TV, and uh, everything going on in the world of sports. 